Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusuf. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by ScriptRunner. ScriptRunner is a great solution to centrally manage PowerShell scripts and standardize and automate IT tasks via a graphical user interface for help desk and end users. So check that out on scriptrunner.com. So welcome back and what's up, Yussi? Hey, Toby. I am about three months away of hopefully finally getting to move to my new house. And everything is going quite well, actually, uh, despite my project management skills. Uh, but one of the big things that I haven't really done yet is, is to sort of plan and design and purchase all of the home gym stuff that I think I'm going to need in, in the new house. So I've, I've got a small dedicated room for everything. And what I've learned is that it's surprisingly complex to think what you actually are going to get because you have to consider budget, the available space, the height and footprint of any of the gear you're planning on getting, the shipping times because sometimes it's four weeks, sometimes it's four months, availability, compatibility if you uh, source from different providers, and also how they're going to look like colors and finishes and everything else. And one of the gym providers or the gym gear providers, they have a neat web-based design uh, tool that you can use for free, obviously. And, and what you can do is you can put the room measurements in place, the height and windows and, and door positions. Then you can tackle on any of the stuff you plan on getting. And then you can rotate that in 3D and even execute a render with, with the final materials and the plants and the TVs and the trash cans and everything else. So I've been playing with, with, with that for a couple of evenings now and, and I've done printouts. Would it be like this? Would it be like that? But still, it's, it's funny when you're committing to something that you know that anything I'm purchasing for the gym is going to be eternal. It's metal. It's never going to go away. It's, it's surprisingly hard to commit to actually getting something, even if you sort of know that, okay, this is good enough. It, it might not be perfect. So that's, that's probably been the main project for the past week for me, besides the usual stuff. So that, that sounds, uh, you know, pretty similar to the experience that I talked about in a few episodes ago with uh, designing my kitchen with uh, the yeah. Ikea kitchen planner thing where you can, you know, walk into 3d and, and you can kind of design everything and do things like that. It's pretty nice. Um, and, and it also reminds me of the good old days when I designed circuit boards in uh, CAD programs and printed them out in a circuit board printer and, uh, you know, designed things like that. Um, so, but this, I think this makes sense. So like all the things for home planning, um, you know, I also use web-based and cloud-based tools for a lot of things when I design my, my new home office and, and the, the measurements, if you will, and where to put things and what will fit in there. So. I think that makes perfect sense. And in your case, like a home gym, uh, you know, you're talking about the real type of uh, gym hardware, which, like you said, are those big chunky metal pieces, right? Not the uh, the one thing you put in the corner of your living room that has like seven stations built into one that is semi-plastic, but you're looking for like the, the real type of gym stuff. And 
once you put that in, number one, you've got to make sure it fits because otherwise you will have to put some of those outside and you probably don't want that. that that's not going to work here in, in, in Finland. And, and one of the interesting things is that you're looking at something for the gym, perhaps the, uh, the, the actual rack where you can put everything and, and, and do your things. That might cost you X. But then you look at something more specific, uh, perhaps an equipment that only allows you to do one thing instead of the 10 different things you can do in a rack. And that might, might cost you X times five. And it makes no sense because something special, you would imagine it would be cheaper, but it's actually much more expensive. So it sort of is, is this challenge of, of planning, but also discarding on a lot of the options there are. So um, on my side, speaking of things that are expensive, um, anyone in particularly my place or, or my location or region of Sweden can probably relate to this. So the prices for electricity in Sweden has skyrocketed, like in this area. And we're talking about right now, I'm about 400% of the normal price, which is a little bit insane. There's a lot of talk about this in the news. And, and we just saw the bill from our last month jumped 326% in one month from the previous month. So that's obviously quite a lot, a bit steeper than you want. But it turns out I can use that as a justification to continue with some of the renovations and you know fix some better isolation, maybe better ventilation and heating and things like that. And I'm seeing now all the challenges we never had in the past because we usually lived in newly built houses or newly built apartments. And then you just, it's like, you just turn the key or in that case, it's a code. You just enter the building and it's done. You never have to think about anything. Now we move to a, an older area uh, closer to the sea, very old house. So location is a, a lot nicer than before. But with that comes all the challenges we never had before with older houses. And you know it can be a bit stressful, but I mainly see it as a as a chance to uh, to learn and also a justification to kind of improve on on things and you know continue the renovations so with the continued uh, electrical prices going up and it's only getting colder now for the coming two or three months it's going to get even colder so the prices will go up um i will probably need to jump back into these 3d uh, model rendering tools to uh, to design some things where i want to put like heating pumps and stuff like that and how i can optimize um the heating of my home office so the, the home office I have is in a separate building from the main building. It's it's an old garage we repurposed and isolated and built into a a home office and storage. So it's pretty nice that it's separate from the main building, but it also means I cannot use the same heating that I have in the main building. So I put electrical radiators in here and I realized I turned them off for two days and I saw the electrical consumption also reduced by 20, 25% just by two radiators in all of our house and area. So the, the total consumption uh, of everything we have comes from two radiators from the home office. So that only shows how, how much consumption you spend on electrical heating, which does not make sense anymore. So again, a chance to kind of renew and, and revise that. Uh, so yeah, that's what I've been up to, uh, contemplating on why I have to pay this bill and then pay it. And then contemplate on the changes I need to do in my life to make that uh, go away, so I don't get it next month. Now that you were mentioning the the, the heating and the electricity prices, uh, 
I went and opened my side window because it's too hot in my in my home office because I've got the home lab equipment here. But I think I will be facing the same problem because it's super cold now and it's going to be really cold in the next four to six weeks at least. And I fear the electricity prices will, will reflect that soon. Uh, if somebody is listening on this and thinking, what is super cold? So, so we had minus 20 Celsius. Uh, last week here in Helsinki. How about you over there in Malmö? We had a uh, plus two, uh, and I thought that was cold, so I had to put on an extra jacket. <laughs> yeah, that could be cold as well. Uh, so today, <clears throat> this is episode 116, Azure Updates. And as is customary, we'll go through the recent interesting Azure Updates. And when we were typing up the notes for this episode, I, I started thinking that if we had done this sort of an uh, episode and, and looking at the updates, perhaps in 1997, these episodes would be super interesting because we could simply say, well, NT4 was released, the next update will happen in two years, so nothing to update. But now we at least have these sort of weekly and monthly updates. Um, Toby, would you like to start with any item on your list first? Yeah, for sure. Um, like you say, the, the cadence of updates is really coming in hot from, from Azure and anything in the cloud, really, and, and any, any provider. Um, so I, I also like that. And again, this is the first update show of the year. And I had to pick, like, there is a lot of updates that happen over, you know, late December or from December moving forward. And there's a lot of things I would like to talk about, but I think we will get time in the future episodes to to mention some of those as well. So I picked, uh, I think, four main updates that I think are um, pretty interesting and, and that I know a lot of people use. So the number one is now in preview. And this is automated key rotation in Azure Key Vault. So that's in public preview. And you can set a key rotation policy on a key to schedule automated rotation and configure expiry notifications using the event grid integration. And I don't know if we talked about it on this show or if it's that I wrote a blog post about it. I know I did that, uh, where I talked about how you can get notified of expiring secrets and certificates and keys in your Azure Key Vaults. Uh, you, can, you can then send notifications ahead of time, X days ahead of an expiration. You can send a no notification to an event grid. And from there, can do whatever you want, like send a handle it as a webhook, um, add it as a, a table storage row, add it to a queue, uh, shoot it over to an Azure function, whatever you need in, in you know your scenarios. What I did in, in my scenarios, I monitor and operate a lot of systems, including everything we have in Azure, uh, which is like distributed SaaS uh, applications. And uh, what I can now do with the event grid integration is whenever something approaches expiration. I will shoot that over to EventGrid. And from EventGrid, I have a, a super small application I built that will take the signal coming from EventGrid. It will go into an Azure function. From there, I can shoot it over in the correct format that I need to any of my systems, including my CM if I want it in there. But otherwise, just my monitoring uh, systems where I will raise a red flag or, or a yellow flag saying, hey, you know what? There's a, in 60 days, these certificates or these keys will expire. Uh, you need to take action soon. And then again, in 30 days, I might get a, a notification saying, this is now a red flag. If you don't take action, these will expire. And, and if you don't deal with that, it's going to be a problem. Now, the reason I mentioned that is 
this update, which is a preview update for automated key rotation in Azure Key Vault, helps you with automatically rotate those keys. Um, so I really like that. So you you require a permission called rotate, set rotation policy, and get rotation policy to manage the rotation policy on any uh, of the keys. And the policy setting that you can then set for this is the expiry time. So the key expiration interval uh, used to set the expiration date uh, on newly rotated keys. And this is important to, to understand because it does not affect current keys. Right. So if you set a new policy and say, hey, I automatically want to rotate keys, that will only happen for the keys you create now and for it. It will not automatically start rotating all the keys you already have. So that, that's important to understand because obviously if you, if you already have hundreds of keys in, in your key vault, you don't want them to just start cycling out if you don't actually have a plan for, uh, for dealing with that in your applications. Then you have, uh, you know, you can the policy setting of enabling, disabling, whether the rotation should be enabled, um, and then the rotation type. So you have automatically renew at a specific given time after creation, automatically renew at a specific given time before expiration, uh, and then you require the exp uh, expiry time to be set on the policy and expiration date on the key. You have the rotation time and you have notification time. So keys near expiration event. Uh, interval for event grid notifications, the thing I mentioned before, like X days before, then uh, it should notify. So I, I think that update is very welcome where you get this now automatically managed with automated key rotation in Azure Key Vault that is now in public preview. I think this is something we actually can revisit in a full episode because already now you, you can hear me just going on and on about this. and. And that's number one, because I know a lot of people use Key Vault as a central piece of their deployments. Number two, I use Key Vault for everything we have. And number three, this will help me immensely in managing like the cloud infrastructure and, and all the offerings we have. And I suspect this will be super interesting for a lot of people using Azure Key Vault. So that's the, the first the, one I had. The, the first episode we did was on Azure Key Vault. That was over two years ago. So, so yes, I'd, I'd say we will schedule a future episode to sort of revisit Key Vault, all of the latest updates, but also on the best practices and how one should utilize those. That's that's really interesting for sure. Uh, on my list, the first one is is something I don't really work with too closely, but I, I feel this is interesting. So this is an update to Azure Machine Learning, and there's now in general availability, there's available support for HashiCorp Terraform configuration templates. So instead of using Azure Portal or Azure, Azure CLI or an ARM template to provision a machine learning workspace, you can now use a Terraform configuration template to provision that. There's a little bit of limitations in here. So I, I feel even if this is GA now, it's still, something you would use if you really want to embrace Terraform when provisioning a new resource in Azure. But beyond this, uh, you can, of course, use any of the other capabilities in there. Uh, I did a workshop on, on Azure Machine Learning in December a couple of weeks ago. And for that, I needed a few labs for the attendees to try out without knowing that well how everything works in Azure ML. So I will add a link in the show notes on, on the lab. If you want to try out how to provision Azure ML, but also how you, how you can build solutions in there, because this interestingly 
when you build a real solution using Azure ML, especially if you use the auto ML feature, you get to provision a Kubernetes cluster, you can use Azure container instances, you will use Azure Key Vault and app services. So it sort of ties together everything you would normally use in Azure, but in a nice interface, if you will. So the Terraform approach is not required for this, but it's a nice add-on. But I feel it's worth highlighting that Azure Machine Learning itself is very capable now. And, and in a way, it's ready for consumption and use if you haven't had a chance to work with this yet. That sounds interesting. So I, I haven't used uh, Azure Machine Learning that much, uh, but I do see some use cases now. Uh, the more data we have now from, from customers and telemetry and how our products are being used and things like that, uh, the more we also realize that there's such an amount of, of uh, signals and data points that it's really hard for us to kind of draw conclusions on certain things. So it would, you know, might make sense to actually uh, get uh, machine learning into that to uh, draw the data out of uh, the big bucket of, of data that we have to, to give, you know, give us the patterns or, or give us the, the data points that we need to take a look at. So it's on my radar, definitely. And when I've taken a look at that, we might revisit that as well because that, that sounds interesting. So the second update I have, you know, there is a, not a episode that goes by without us touching on something about Azure Security Center or, or now the Microsoft Defender. Now there's also something in preview called Microsoft Defender for containers that adds new capabilities for Kubernetes. And I also know there's many who use Kubernetes or are looking at using Kubernetes and one of the questions we usually get around that is, you know, how do I stay on top of security? How do I see the signals? How can I ensure that uh, my images that I develop, my Docker images, they are scanned for vulnerabilities and things like that. And there are tools in Azure for that. And there are other tools that you can make use to do some of those things. Uh, so the preview here, the Microsoft Defender for container that adds new capabilities for Kubernetes. Now it's still fairly new it merges the capabilities from Azure Defender for Kubernetes and Azure Defender for Container Registries, and then adds a several new improved features on top of that. So some of those are AKS Profile, where you get the frictionless onboarding and maintenance as an AKS Profile, so you no longer have a dependency on the log analytics agent. So if you know what I'm talking about here, the you know to, to get the the signals back from your containers, you had to deploy the log analytics agents, but now with the AKS profile, you don't need to do that. So that's one benefit. You have multi-cloud support for AKS, Amazon EKS, uh, Kubernetes on-prem, and so on. Uh, the GCP or, or the, uh, the Google Cloud is not added yet, but it will be added in the future, which means now Microsoft Defender for Containers can get signals from multiple clouds, right? Not just from, from Azure. So that's also pretty interesting if you want to use that or the dashboards and the signals for your security operations and, and to see you know, how your Kubernetes clusters are configured and, and how they, you know, the, the general health, you can uh, use Microsoft Defender for containers uh, with these Kubernetes uh, capabilities from other clouds. So I, I really like that. You have runtime visibility of vulnerabilities. So there's new recommendation for monitoring the Kubernetes clusters and then surfaces a list of running images with vulnerabilities and, and this is based on the vulnerability assessment scans by Qualys. So maybe you've used Azure Security Center in the past, maybe you've deployed Azure Container Registries, and maybe you've seen that when you do a security scan of a container registry or, or an image, it's like powered by Qualys. 
So this is the, the same type of vulnerability assessment that happens, but it's now then integrated as a runtime visibility of vulnerabilities into Microsoft Defender from containers. You can, you can see that from there, which is pretty nice. So you can help, this will help you focus on the most critical vulnerabilities that expose your environment to any threats, right? So again, you don't need then the third-party image scan or, or the third-party runtime scan. You, you can get that built in. You have ATP or advanced threat protection with additional Kubernetes-aware AI analytics and anomaly detection. So there's new capabilities in that area. Uh, I don't know the exacts of what those capabilities are, um, but I'm sure that in the link we will put in the show notes, I'm sure you can learn more about that. I also know that they enhanced the ACR vulnerability assessment. So the Azure Container Registry vulnerability assessment recommendation has some runtime information added on top of the image scan results. And, and runtime information is when your container is in use. And then the image scan is just, if you will, the, the boilerplate or the blueprint of your, your code and, and your image. So now you, you get the, the runtime information added on top of that. And, and then this is continuously scanned. You have continuous image scanning and you know adding more capabilities to continuously and per periodically scan your ACR images on your Kubernetes clusters. So there's quite a lot of updates in that area. So if you're a Kubernetes user, I was about to say if you're a happy Kubernetes user, but regardless of your emotional state towards Kubernetes, um, this will be a welcome update, I think, where Microsoft Defender for containers now uh, adds these capabilities for Kubernetes. And again, that's in public preview as of this recording, which is early January. So that's probably going to uh, roll over in GA soon. You can also check that out in the show notes and see on the roadmap when that will happen. So I, I think that is a pretty important update if you work with Kubernetes. And also you can already take a look because it's in a public preview. You can already take a look at some of these things to see what data you get back from your Kubernetes clusters. And I, I really find this useful. I think one of the updates you did in, perhaps in the previous update episode was something for Microsoft Defender for storage accounts. There was a new capability. And when we were done with the recording, I went to one of my subscriptions, I enabled that feature. And I figured, well, it doesn't really cost that much because it's in preview. Let me try this. And five minutes later, I get an email with a huge red box saying that that suspicious executable has been added to one of my storage accounts. And, and I immediately stopped everything I, I was doing, went to, went to have a look at the storage account, sort of fearing that was there something I hadn't spotted before, but now with this simple simple flip of a switch it would it would figure something out well turns out it was an executable i used to benchmark my pc and it looks a bit shady even though it's it's fully trustworthy and i back up some of my files to azure storage so it immediately captured that upon the synchronization of that file but it's it's nice to see that that they keep adding so much stuff to microsoft defender and most of those seem to be fairly easy to enable. You just flip them on and, and forget about them until something happens, of course. Back in the day, Toby, did you have a CD-ROM device, perhaps one that could also burn CDs or DVDs? Oh, I, I had a CD and DVD burner for sure. Alrighty, because this reminds me of those times. The next update is immutable storage with versioning for blob storage. It's now generally available. So what this means is data that you store in a blob storage becomes non-erasable 
And within the documentation that Microsoft published for this, they actually mention write once, read many, or worm. And that's the thing we had in 1993 or 94 when we got the first CD-ROM devices for home, also the first burners. So what this allows you to do is it allows you to specify perhaps a container within a blob storage to be non-erasable. So nobody can delete that, but you can also enable retention period, perhaps get rid of these files after 60 days or two years. And you can also have support for legal hold if you want to freeze something, even if it should be erased or it shouldn't be erased, but you also want the legal hold on top of this. The only thing that's required is you need to enable a blob versioning. I think that's enabled by default nowadays. And this doesn't cost you anything. So if you need perhaps a backup or an archive that will never, never become erased or nothing will be deleted from a set of containers within the storage, this is the feature. And it's, it's now generally available. So just enable this in your provision scripts. Or if you use Azure portal, just go to the container, flip the switch on, and you're good to go. All right. I, I really like this. We've, we've taken a look at you know, solutions for that in the past where uh, for the legal holds being one reason, someone says, look, we're going to do an audit or you know, for whatever reason, you need to keep some records. And we never stored it in, in Azure storage accounts. And this type of document because it was really hard to uh, to ensure that. But yeah, this is a welcome update. So if you do store things in the blob storage, then uh, you know that makes sense. Um, so definitely some use cases for that. Speaking of storage accounts, I have another preview feature uh, for storage accounts that I really like. It's secure access to storage account from a virtual network or subnet in any region. And so this is a short update, but. By default, service endpoints enable connectivity from a VNet to a storage account in the same Azure region as the VNet uh, or in its paired region. All right, so each Azure region has a paired region, like as a failover and things like that. And uh, by default, you can access paired region or your own region, but that's it. So this, this preview enables secure access to your storage account from virtual networks in any Azure region. Which means you can have you can think of your deployments in a different way now than you did in the past. So subnets in other regions which have storage service endpoints will no longer use a public IP address to communicate with the storage accounts. Which of course is important to understand if you manage firewalls and, and IP addresses and things like that. Now all traffic will originate from a private IP address and uh, at any IP network rules that permits traffic from those subnets will no longer have any effect. So again, if you manage your firewalls and your networks and your NHGs and, and routing, things like that, and, and you want to enable this, then, uh, then you will have to know that the, you know, it will no longer use a public IP address to communicate with the storage account. And how to enable that? Well, you just re register the allow global tags for storage feature, and that's it. So a small update, but can be a pretty huge and significant impact in your architecture, depending on how you want to do things. But I, yeah, I really like this one. Secure access to storage accounts from a virtual network or subnet in any region. That's an interesting update. I, I think I already have a use case where I, I could need this. Uh, so I will need to try this out, even though it's in preview, but usually I find that the previews are, are fairly stable. Um, next on my list, uh, and this is something that's generally available. Uh, 
there's a script now, it's a PowerShell script available that allows you to upgrade your load balancer SKU. So when you initially provision a load balancer in Azure, quite often you go with the basic SKU and it has some limitations, especially for performance and high availability or resilience. So now there's a script that allows you to upgrade from basic to standard. And previously this capability wasn't there. So the only sort of supported option was to provision a new load balancer SKU with standard, migrate the settings, remove the old one and somehow divert traffic to the new one. And it would, it would often incur downtime and, and sort of time sensitive operations at the same time, especially in, in, in a production environment. I did have a quick look at the script. So it's part of the PowerShell gallery. You need to install a module from there and that includes the script. And the promise is that this takes about two to three minutes to upgrade. So to me, this is telling that it's not actually provisioning a new instance and migrating the settings, but it's actually fiddling with the existing instance, perhaps to flip something that hasn't previously been supported, but has been internally available. I haven't tried this yet, but it's good to know that this sort of capability is now there because for a couple of years, it sort of has been missing, even though this is not something you would do on a weekly basis, but when you needed to do this, it was a huge problem. And hopefully now with the script, this problem is gone. All right, very nice. So I, I only have one final update on my list now. I have a long list of updates I want to talk about, but you know, given the time constraints we, we have, the last update is also a preview feature right now, ABAC or attribute-based access control for Azure storage accounts. So back to Azure storage. So you might know of RBAC or Azure role-based access control, which is an authorization system helping you to manage who can access your Azure resources, what they can do with those resources, and like what areas they have access to. And in most cases, you use Azure role-based access control to provide the access management you need uh, by using role definitions and role assignments. So you can say that this group of users or this individual user will have you will be assigned to this role definition, granting them access to do this and that uh, for those given resources in that given area. But in some cases, you might, to, uh, might want to provide more fine-grained uh, access management or simplify the management of like hundreds of role assignments. And uh, then enters ABAC or Azure ABAC, which is attribute-based access control, which builds on top of Azure role-based access control. And it adds role assignment conditions based on attributes in the context of specific actions. So a role assignment condition is an additional check that you can now optionally add uh, to your role assignment to provide more fine-grained access control. And a condition filters down permissions granted as part of the role definition and role assignment. So for example, you can add a condition that requires an object to have a specific tag to read the object. If it does not have that tag, you cannot access it. Unfortunately, you cannot explicitly deny access uh, to specific resources uses, using conditions. That would, to me, also be a, a very nice add-on feature where you could say implicitly or explicitly deny access to any resources with these attributes. Uh, but uh, right now you can only grant permissions this way. So this update to the preview enables the use of Azure AD customers security attributes for principles in role assignment conditions. So it's, it's pretty cool. 
So I'm, I'm just going to leave, leave it at that high level. We'll put the link in the show notes. You can dive into this because ABAC or uh, attribute-based access control is well-described in the Azure docs already. And so is the, the capabilities for storage accounts and using it. And there's a long list of, of attributes and sub-operations and actions where this applies. And, and examples of that is like attributes can be the name of a container, the path to a blob, a blob index tag, which is the key, or a blob index tag, which is then by value. But again, see the show notes for the full list of attributes and their actions. Uh, it's all in the documentation from Microsoft Docs. It's super cool. I think this is really powerful and gets you one step further to, uh, to the kind of zero trust uh, scenario you might want to have, or you don't want to grant full permissions to everything, but you can now you know, do more fine-grained access control based on attributes as well on top of uh, role-based access control. That's an interesting update. I, I can't think of a specific need right now for ABAC, but I, I, I feel it, it gives me more fine-grained control on those specific cases where you really need to drill down on something like permissions and access. Um, the last one on my list is uh, this is a public preview feature, and this is the virtual machine restore points. And, and what's interesting about this is that previously we had incremental snapshots for VM disks. So imagine you have a virtual machine, you might have three disks in there. So now you can do, you used to be able to do incremental snapshots per disk. But what if you have a solution like SQL Server that stores data on one disk for logs, one disk for, for uh, data, and a third disk for something else? Now with the restore points, you can do point-in-time snapshots of the whole virtual machine configuration and all of the disks at the same time. So, so to me, this is the same capability I've had on Hyper-V locally for what, eight, 10 years already. So now I can utilize this, especially if I'm doing a quick configuration change in a virtual machine, and I'm not sure if I need to go back in time five minutes because something failed with the configuration change. I can, of course, use Azure Backup, but that often takes 10 minutes or 60 minutes to run through the whole backup, and restoring is a bit of a heavy operation. Now I can simply take a snapshot, try something. Oh, it didn't work. Let's go back in time five or 10 minutes and quickly restore the snapshot. So the application itself will be consistent on this. Uh, it's in preview now. I'd be perhaps a little bit careful on this, especially on production workloads before it's generally available. But give it a try, especially if you've been using the... Um, the previous snapshot capability, but need the whole point in time capability now. All right. Yeah, that's also an interesting one. Uh, we don't use a lot of VMs, so I don't have the use cases for this, but I, I do know some of our partners and, and customers use that. So definitely makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Those were all the updates. Um, so the last thing, the unexpected question. Um, is it my turn to ask you? I think it is. Yes. So, Toby, it's, it's early 2022. Uh, what book would you recommend everyone to read during this year, if they had to read one book? Uh, if you had to read one book, 
granted, last year I did not have time to read that many books, but in the last four or five years, the main book that I still have takeaways every day from is the the one that I mentioned also in the past, uh, Extreme Ownership, which is by these two Navy SEALs, uh, Jocko Willink and, and you know, the other guy, I can't remember his name, where they take their experiences from the field of, of leading Navy SEALs into now leading teams in business. And some of the analogies, I know we talked about this in a, in a different episodes, some of the analogies or a lot of the analogies are like, in battle, this is how it works. And, and then in business, this is how we apply that. And I don't care much for you know how it works in battle, but the, the idea of the extreme ownership where you always, um, you don't find something to blame, you don't find excuses, you always say, all right, this didn't work out. You know, this is probably my fault or my bad. I will find a, a, and figure it out. So it, it's a way to own accountability instead of find a way to uh, put blame on circumstances that are out of your control. Because in the end, everything is within our control in a way, whether that control means you just have to accept that, you know, shit happens. Now we need to find a way to deal with it. And then you have to own that as well, instead of saying, well, I didn't cause it, so I don't want to deal with it. I really think this is something that changed a lot of how I think in business, how I think as a leader, where, you know, whenever I'm put into situations where things did not go according to plan, I will be the first one to say, you know what, maybe this is my fault. Maybe I was not clear. Maybe I didn't do my job well enough. Maybe I have room for improvement in, in how I delivered my leadership in this area. So it's, it's always for me, uh, a way to look back in or, or look within to see how can I do something different to ensure that this does not happen uh, in the future? Or, or, you know, how can I do something different to ensure that our team grows in the direction we want, as opposed to, uh, you know, myself included, blaming circumstances or finding excuses for things, which I guess everyone has done at some point in their life, right, for different things. And, and in business, I think this extreme ownership is very valuable. So whether you like the analogies of Navy SEALs or not, I still would say read the book or, as I did, listen to the audiobook. I usually listen on, on the audiobook and I turn up the speed a little bit so I can plow through it a bit faster. Uh, for example, when I'm walking, walking the kids in the stroller or something like that. So that is um, still, to me, a very, very good read because it's... It's a lot about how you think and how you approach leadership and, and challenges, not so much about, you know, do this and you will win everything. Um, not one of those motivational books in that sense, but it's more if you can look within and own the accountabilities and responsibilities you have and also take ownership of things that nobody else does or take ownership of things uh, when something fails, that will get you and your team growing a lot faster and a lot quicker. So definitely a worth, worth the read. I, I recall when we briefly discussed the book previously, that was perhaps 10 episodes ago. I still have the book on, on my Kindle and I haven't restarted yet, but it's, it's, it's on my list of things to read. I'm, I'm currently reading uh, the new book from Bill Gates. It's titled How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. It's, it's not something I would normally read, but, but somebody bought the book and I borrowed the book. I started sort of flipping through and I'm like, well, this is actually quite interesting because it's, it's written by 
a, a tech guy, if you will. So it's 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 less scientific. It's more operational in a way. And I'm halfway through. I can I can very much recommend the book. It's it's a fairly easy read at the same time. But the one that you mentioned, yes, this will definitely be something I will read before the summer. I'm committing now. Okay, good. I will make a note here. <laughs> okay. Alrighty. So thank you again for joining. This was episode 116 Azure Updates. And we hope you join us next week as well. All right. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm.